What's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling With Issues Podcast here. Welcome to episode 95 of the Young Lions Perspective. So glad to have you guys here with me on this Monday afternoon. The Monday after SummerSlam weekend, and I hope you're enjoying your day, your night, your afternoon, and your evening. Wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for taking out this episode of the podcast. And as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. SummerSlam weekend is coming gone. And now we can, of course, after every pay-per-view, talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was SummerSlam weekend. And my quick thoughts before we get into the good, that was SummerSlam weekend. My quick thoughts. We all knew that NXT TakeOver Toronto had much more hype than SummerSlam did going into this weekend. They had the better storylines, the better build, pretty much the better everything. For the most part. And NXT TakeOver Toronto did what they always do, and that's kick ass, please the crowd, and give them everything. In terms of, you know, putting on the best show possible for the NXT TakeOver faithful. And it seemed like a night and day switch because when you get when we got the SummerSlam on Sunday, of course, y'all know my hype for this pay-per-view was just the lowest out of uh, the five big pay-per-views. And if you want to talk about six being the uh, G1 Climax Finals, um, my hype was the lowest for all six. It was at the bottom of my list and they proved me right in that. They proved me right in terms of hype. It was, it is, I guarantee you, it is without any doubt the most disappointing pay-per-view of the month. I think without Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt's debut, and we'll get into that in just a second. Bray Wyatt's debut and the Seth Rollins-Brock Lesnar match, this show could have been an absolute fucking failure. Last night. Without question, would have been the worst pay-per-view of 2019 hands fucking down had it not been for the debut of Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship if you think like, I know a good I know a good portion of people are gonna be on Twitter saying you know I saw it last night this was the best show of the year all this shit and they're not thinking I don't think they're thinking logically because there was a good amount of those matches on SummerSlam last night that were not good. And we'll get into all that. You know we will. We will dive deep and break it all down. There's just no way for any person to be- truly believe in their heart of hearts that SummerSlam was the best show of 2019. Not even it was not even close. It was de- it's definitely on the list of worst pay-per-views of 2019. For sure, because SummerSlam was a huge disappointment. This was not even close to being the biggest party of the summer. Not even close. This was probably the biggest disappointment of the summer. Because I honestly think Stomping Grounds was a much better pay-per-view than SummerSlam. If you want to just rank the summer months, I would rank Extreme Rules 3, SummerSlam, a distant two, and Stomping Grounds was the best one of the summer. 
June, July, and August. Stomping Grounds was even better than SummerSlam. And that's saying something. That a B-level pay-per-view over the summer was better than a Big Four pay-per-view. That's a disappointment to me. That's a solid... It, it, it just failed. It, it, it didn't do what it was supposed to do. A lot of the results, predictable. Most of the matches on the card, meh. It paled in comparison to NXT TakeOver Toronto. But I'm... We'll talk about more about that when we get to the ugly that was SummerSlam weekend. Let's talk about the good that was SummerSlam weekend. And as I alluded to before, Bray Wyatt's debut as The Fiend was one of the best debuts I have seen in the last five years without question. The repackaging of Bray Wyatt was fucking well done. Well done. A lot of people give Vince McMahon shit and yours truly gives him so much shit because he fucking deserves it. But when he actually puts his mind to it, the man can make some memories happen. And that was probably the biggest highlight of the entire weekend was Bray Wyatt's debut as The Fiend. His entrance was amazing. The the revamped music, same same pretty much fucking theme song, just a metal headbanging version of it. The, the lantern with Bray Wyatt's head. Mwah! Everything about this debut was perfect. The crowd reaction was as expected. Perfect. Holy shit, that was awesome. They did their job with Bray Wyatt. That was and what happened during the match was just the way you were just the way you were supposed to write it up. Have him destroy Finn Balor. Finn Balor got a little bit of offense towards the middle of the match, but in in, gen- in all in all in all, Bray Wyatt did what he had to do. The conflict that he had towards the end of the match when he was about to hit Sister Abigail, um, that got reversed into the shotgun drop kick, that was money. You know, you know, from Bray Wyatt, you know, showing the duality of Bray Wyatt and the Fiend trying to keep himself in that happy medium was that was just perfect. Everything about Bray Wyatt last night was an A plus. A solid A plus. And honestly, I was writing down my notes before I started recording this, and I had to change my MVP. I, I'm I'm actually gonna do it right now. Cause fucking Yeah. I'm just gonna, you know, cross that. Okay, all right, yeah, we just changed the MVP. Yeah, easily. But, yeah, there is there is no fucking way they, they could get this wrong. Last night. That was last night. Now, what do you do with it going forward? That is going to be the major question for Bray Wyatt. How does this work going forward? He's got, he's dispatched Finn Balor. Finn Balor is now on vacation. He's pretty much gone, uh, like White Club Jean, uh, gone till November. Till uh, Survivor Series. And that will be something I discuss when we get to that point. Um, but seriously, great debut, thoroughly impressed, so happy for, so happy that they did this properly. It's fan fucking tastic. 
Holy fucking shit. Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano was without a doubt one of the best matches of the weekend. Holy fucking shit. Oh my dear God. My dear fucking God. That, that, oh my God. Three, that three stages of hell, perfect. Perfect. They, that is a solid way to end a feud between two men who have been going at it since TakeOver New York. Literally over four months of a feud. Fan-fucking-tastic. First match of the of, uh, Three Falls. Solid. You know, solid pure wrestling match. And the way they ended the first fall was hilarious. And, I, and, and you know what? It actually made sense to do it. Johnny Gargano picks up the chair. Well, actually... Adam Cole had the chair, but Gargano pretty much introduced it to Adam Cole's back, which allowed Cole to get the first fall. And that I don't give a fuck attitude was perfect because that led right into the street fight. Match number two of the of the card, which played right into Johnny Gargano's hand. Now, the only critique I will give of this match main critique I will give in this match is that the second fall was a bit short but you know because that that could have been a little bit longer because they had a lot of time to play with um, they pretty much went an hour I think I think like 65 minutes or so and it was solid solid 65 minutes that kept us all entertained um, when you look at it you know like I said it was a bit short but it made sense when they had to go into the third fall. And the third fall um, stipulation, I'll, um, I'm just going to go right into that right now. William Regal's third fall stipulation was the craziest choice he could probably think of. We know it was all Triple H and Shawn McMichael. Shawn, oh, McMichael. Shawn Michaels and, and his team and the team of NXT to think of, that was probably the best thing they could think of without question. Everybody was trying to speculate what the third match was going to be. You know, was it going to be a false count anywhere match? Was it going to be? You could, I mean, you with the, you got to think of the options. There wasn't really many options that you could really go to after the street fight. You can do false count anywhere, but that's what kind of a street fight is. Um, you can do last man standing. You can do I quit. You could you could go those routes, but having that steel cage the way it was with all the weapons surrounding it with the barbed wire on top sledgehammers galore and i'm sure triple h had a fucking boner uh putting and making sure he got those in there um the one thing that really intrigued me was the uh the bag on hard camp right in the front the bag my first thought was please god don't tell me they're going thumbtacks because if they, if they go thumbtacks i'm gonna lose my shit that that is the hardcore fan in me like the hardcore like not like deathmatch but the hardcore fan in me going like oh my god now when he did open that bag brass knuckles 
and bolt cutters. That was that was the William Regal shot. There. That was I was all William Regal. Really, Regal definitely one of those in there. And I'm surprised that they didn't use the goddamn brass ducks. I'm kind of upset. So that was William Regal's boner. There. Him popping off. Um, the third fall was crazy. The ending was bananas. Gargano trying to uh, put the barbed wire on Cole's head. All that good shit. And the only way that Cole could stop Gargano is if they, he had the momentum to just push him off of the top of that platform they had on the cage. Onto through the tables and had the wherewithal to drape an arm over him to get the victory and retain the NXT championship. That was a fit as a fitting end to a feud. And a, an unfortunate ending for Jar, Gar, Johnny Gargano in NXT. This is not uh bad by any means. Um it will be a bad if they do don't do this properly. But Johnny Gargano got the farewell treatment. The thank you, Johnny Chance, the moment that he had with the with his wife in the ring and the referees and William Regal. If this was Johnny's last show in NXT, he went out with a fucking bang. And you gotta look at the legacy. And this is a good for Johnny. Look at the legacy he leaves behind in NXT. The Cruiserweight Classic, where it all started. With him and Champa, good, very good match. One of the best matches of the Cruiserweight Classic, bar none. Teaming up with Champa to perform DIY, to form DIY, the match that he had to take over Toronto a couple of years ago, and one of the best tag team matches I have ever seen in NXT. Period. Against the Revival for the tag team championships, match they had with AOP. You know, just having one of the best tag team title reigns. Period. Um. The matches they had with each other. The matches that Johnny has had with uh, Alistair Black, Velveteen Dream, um, Andrade Cien Almas, Adam Cole. He literally faced a who's who. Ricochet included. He's faced a, the, literally the who's who of NXT at that point in time. He had been there for what, close to three years? And he leaves behind one of the best legacies in NXT history. The only the only blip on that, the only little blip is that we didn't get the conclusion to Ciampa and Gargano. We never got that conclusion, period. It kind of sucks that we never got that. But his legacy, his legacy that he has, his body of work in NXT is probably one of the best, period, in NXT's history. And that's that's the real truth there. His legacy is ridiculous as he goes into the WWE's main roster. And that kind of concerns, and a lot of people are concerned that this was his last go in NXT. But if it was your last go in NXT, thank you, Johnny, for all that you have put into the brand that is NXT. You have left a long-lasting memory in the hearts of fans. And dude, I hope I hope they do you right. And I say this every time for any person that's going up to the main roster. I hope they do right by you. I hope they understand what legacy you left behind, what body of work you have done, what you have done, period, in NXT, and I hope they do right by you. Because if they don't, 
trust me when I tell you, I will be the first person to be going ham, cheese, and bacon on Vince McMahon's ass. And I hope they don't put you in 205 Live. Because that is disrespectful in every facet of you as a person and as a talent in WWE. Street Profits versus Undisputed Era was the best way to kick off SummerSlam weekend, hands down. That was a really good match. A really, really good match. And I was thoroughly impressed by the Street Profits and Undisputed Era. They really kicked it up a notch once they got like halfway towards the uh halfway into the matchup. It was it was good. It was really, really good. I knew we had the possibility of actually, I'm not saying stealing the show, but they, I mean, as an opener, as a first, as the first match of the entire weekend, they did what they had to do. They pretty much hit all their numbers and showed the fuck up and showed the fuck out. They did fan, it was fantastic. It was great. It was wonderful to see those four men put on some work on Saturday night. It was really, really good. I was thoroughly happy with the result. And Street Profits retaining. Um, it was, I mean, in terms of predictions, it was a really bad night for me. It was a very, very bad night for me. I think I was two and three in my predictions, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was two and three on Saturday night with, uh, and I only got Baszler and Cole Wright. Yeah, I got ba- Baszler and Cole. I got right. That was it. Um, Saturday night. So it was a bad night for me in terms of predictions, but it's cool. Um, but they they really did a great job. Um, Street Profits retaining the champion, tag team championships. But it was a very good match. It was a very proper way to open up the uh, TakeOver Toronto. And I couldn't think of any other match on that card that would be able to do what they did. A very, very hot opener. A very fitting way to open up TakeOver Toronto. Edge coming out during the SummerSlam kickoff was fucking fantastic, man. I love Edge. I'm a big Edge mark, and I was not expecting Edge to come out. Um, Seeing him at SummerSlam, even if it was just the kickoff, I'm surprised that he uh, was able to spear Elias. Now, we all know he had to retire um, from competing in WWE because of a neck injury after his match with uh, Alberto Del Rio. Um, years ago and had to vacate the World Heavyweight Championship because of it. But I was very shocked that you know, he was he was he was willing to actually hit the spear on Elias. It was well done. It was very well done. Um very happy that, you know, he came out. Of course, he's a Toronto native. And fucking great. It was fucking great to see Edge out there um, last night. It was just really, it was a really nice moment for Edge, for the crowd in Toronto, for the fans. And I marked out easily, easily. Dolph Ziggler showed you why he is the best seller of moves in WWE right now. We all knew Dolph Ziggler was going to get his ass whooped. We all knew that. 
match started out pretty, pretty fucking crazy. Um, two super kicks by Dolph Ziggler. Um, Goldberg kicking out of both of those. Um, really got the crowd into the whole shit. And then you had pretty much after that spear, jackhammer, one, two, three. But the way Ziggler sold everything was the stuff of legend. This man, literally, he has sold so many big moves. So many big moves over the years. And I can't think of any other man in this business in terms of WWE right now that can sell a move and make up his opponent look like the biggest thing since sliced bread than Dolph Ziggler, without question. He made Goldberg look like a million bucks last night. Hands down. I even posted it on Twitter. He made him look like an absolute fucking million. We all know what happened at Super Letdown. That match with The Undertaker will live in infamy forever. We know this. But he did very well for himself in terms of, you know, getting getting actually this back for at least one night to, you know, forget about Super Letdown. I will never forget about Super Letdown because that was just a joke of a match. But it was, it was a moment of redemption for Bill Goldberg. They did what they had to do. They hit their numbers. They knocked it out of the park. Ziggler selling three spears, talking shit, called him a dipshit. He said, any dipshit can, you know, do a move like that. It was well done, and Ziggler sold the fuck out of it like a champ. I was uh, talking about uh, the homie uh, AFI, uh, Afi Kingdom on uh, in the DMs on Instagram. We were just, and he actually had a video about it. He was watching SummerSlam last night, and I, I even told him he looked like a million fucking bucks. He made him look like a straight up million. We had a little chat about that for a couple minutes um, before he had to go uh, do his thing on on the YouTube's. And he's a good. And I say, if you're any dude, um, want to learn some knowledge, Afi Kingdom on YouTube, AFI Kingdom, definitely go follow him. He's a good dude, real cool dude, man. Shout out to Afi Kingdom, man. Um. All right, so let me see what we got in here. Io Shirai and Candice LeRae. This is just my personal preference. Let me take my shit off vibrate because I ain't got time for that. Io Shirai and Candice LeRae. And this is just me. Some of y'all could think differently, but when you look at the entire, every women's match as a whole, Io Shirai and Candice LeRae had the best match of the weekend in terms of the women. Without question. That... That and that is about as easy, that is as real as it gets. They had the best match out of all the women this weekend. Better than Becky Natalia, better than Trish Charlotte, better than Shayna Mia, better than Bailey and Ember. We'll get into that next segment. They had the and, 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 way, and way better than the women's tag team championship match. That match was a fucking joke. That match was a fucking. We'll get, we'll get into that next segment too. But Io Shirai and Candice LeRae absolutely killed it. They killed it. I thought it was a really good match. The ending of that match was fucking 
brutal, a brutal way to end a, a matchup. That chokehold that she had on Candice, oh God, that was a brutal chokehold. Literally brutal chokehold. I was, I was, I had never seen anybody get passed out like that before. In MMA or in, in, in professional wrestling. Don't mind me, I'm just putting, oh, I'm putting some lotion on my face. My skin's feeling kind of dry at the moment. But they really, they really played this up. Now, that was one of the matches I got wrong. I really thought Candice LeRae was going to defeat EO um, and begin her like her quest towards becoming the NXT Women's Champion, if that was the case. I guess they're still, you know, trying to sort out the women's division as of right now. But holy shit. The, the, both of them did what they were supposed to do on Saturday night. They really did. I was thoroughly impressed by both of these ladies. And Io Shirai, you know, coming out as uh, the winner, I mean, I'm perfectly fine with it. This was one of those matches where you could pick either one and you're not going to be mad at the other person winning. You know, had Candice won, I would have been fine with that. And had Io won, I would have been fine with that as well. There's no reason to feel bad about this match. This was, this was really good. This is a really good, really fun women's match. And it definitely was the best match of the weekend in terms of the women. Of all the matches that they had on the card for both TakeOver and SummerSlam, for my money, for my $9.99, they earned my, they earned my subscription. They earned that. They did what they had to do. And I was thoroughly impressed from beginning to end. The Poison Rana spot, that was fucking crazy. They were hitting some big moves in this match. They were really hitting some big moves throughout the entire matchup. But that Poison Rana will definitely sit with me for sure. I, I, I was thoroughly impressed by both of these ladies. That they came out, even just a... Even just as like a, just an undercard matchup, I really think they 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 killed it. They really produced a well done matchup between these two. And even like I'm just looking at the Chairshot.com right now. Hell, fucking uh, Andrew Ballas, Andrew Balaz of the Chairshot.com gave this matchup a four and a quarter star rating. Pretty much saying it was the best match of the night. And I wouldn't be mad at you. I mean, EO's EO now is a heel. I think allows her to be more um, be more I would say out there, just be more like I guess pretty much using her emotions a lot better. Um, when Candace got to the moonsault, the way she reacted to it, it was just like that's like the way she reacted, just holding her face. Uh, great near falls. The match was very, you know, the pacing of it was just perfect. It wasn't that, it wasn't too slow, it wasn't too anything like that. It was well, very well done. And Just, just well done. Ring psychology, everything. 
wonderfully done match. Well, if we put together a match. And like I said, this is this is the best. Like women in terms of matches of the weekend, it's up there. Um, but in terms of the women, best match of the weekend hands down for the women. The Becky Lynch Natalia submission match was much better than I expected. Much better than I expected. And can we can we applaud? Natty for that middle rope sharpshooter, by the way. That was creative as fuck. That's a creative way to have a fucking submission hold on a chick. That was wonderfully done. That Whoever thought of that spot, genius, and give that person a pay raise. That was a genius spot. Um, the crazy part about that was, I mean, the crowd was definitely pro-Becky. It was a solid, it was actually a good opener. For SummerSlam, I think that was the possibly one of the best ways to open up SummerSlam was having that Becky and Natty face each other for the Raw Women's Championship. I don't think any other match on the card, especially after we saw last night, um, deserved to open the show quite like Becky and Natalya did. Opener, a hot opener, sets the tone for the rest of the night. Um, safe to say that only the beginning and the endings of the show were the best parts of the night. But at least the opening of the show hit its numbers and did what it was supposed to do. I was, like I said, I was thoroughly impressed by this. The, they really did. They the fact that they put on each other's holds always a good, always funny for some reason a weird, weird flex. But in this matchup, it was really cool to see both of them have each other's holds on each other at one point or another. It was really interesting to see that. And it's not like a, in this in this case it was a it wasn't a bad thing at all. It really wasn't a bad thing. I was very happy with the result. Becky's still your Raw Women's Champion, but you know, you know it was it, it was the right call to have Becky retain. Um, Natty surprisingly not getting as much love in Canada as I thought she was. I mean that's the home country girl, and. That was surprising. Very, very surprising. They, they they utilized the stipulation very well. Very, very well. It was well done. Very, very well done. Very happy with the result. Um, Natty, even at one point, um, actually got the crowd to get on her side. When she hit the sharpshooter, the crowd was going bananas for Natty. And then when she let go of the hole, they booed. Right after that, because they wanted Becky to tap. So, you know, it was very... I thought at one point, Natty was going to have that title. And I was thinking, you got to fucking kidding me. Um, but they did what they were... They did what exactly they needed to do to get the result that was needed. And in the end, Natty taps to the disarmor. Becky Lynch retains the championship. Matt Riddle and Killian Dane's brawl was a nice touch to add more to NXT TakeOver. Now, don't get me wrong. The kit was... The, the meal was great. The, the meal, I was not mad. The four-course... The five-course meal was great. I was I was fed, you know... I, I was very well fed throughout uh, Saturday night. It was a great meal. Not even mad at it at all. This... The brawl was fucking bananas. Um... Uh, they went all. They went throughout all the top of the ramp, beating the shit out of each other, beating the crap out of the guards. Um, then the at the end of the segment where uh, Killian Dan had uh, no Matt Riddle was on the back of Killian Dan, and unfortunately for that security guard, he just had to take the spot too. 
Uh, rest in peace to that dude. F's in chat. Um, you know, an F for that, you know, security guard. He took the bump of the night. Of, <laughs> to be truly honest, he took one hell of a bump from that. That was crazy. Um, the, it did what it had to do. It furthered the feud between these two. And the crazy part is they still haven't even faced each other yet. They haven't even faced each other in an official match in NXT yet. And they're already building up, you know, rage and hatred between these two. We now know the reason why Killian Dane is going after him. So we've, and we discussed that a couple weeks ago on the NXT reviews. And if you haven't checked that out, go back and check that out. So, and, and this is building towards something crazy. And that, I'm sure the next set of tapings, they're going to truly face each other one-on-one, or they're going to build this as a months-long feud heading into TakeOver War Games. Or they may just have a match within this next set of tapings, and that kind of leads more into TakeOver War Games in November for some uh, Survivor Series weekend in Chicago. And that in and of itself was crazy. The brawl, the brawl was fantastic. They it did what it had to do, and a nice break. It was a nice break in the show as well to have that. And that was the, like literally the first hour of the show. That was the first hour. Out and a great way to end that first hour. That was fan fucking fantastic. Random. Okay, so yeah, we're gonna keep that in there because I apparently got a scam likely called trying to fucking record. Bot. So if that shows up on the recording, you know why. Um, <laughs> we keep all the crazy shit in here. So I only have three words for this next point, and I'm gonna leave it at that. Austin fucking theory. I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm just gonna make sure I put a check next to that. Can we just say, uh, uh yeah, he's coming to NXT very soon. I know I was going to say just those three words, but I didn't even talk about it. He's going to be in NXT very soon. And if you didn't see the promo that he cut um, during NXT TakeOver uh, Toronto, oh, yeah, he's he's it. He's legit. He's going to be one of the top dudes in NXT because I know Evolve now is bringing in the talent. It's, giving, it's pretty much him and Gabe's, uh, Triple H and Gabe Sapolsky. Yeah, they're bringing, yeah, they got talent for days. Yeah, he, he's basically, he cut that promo, and I was just like, yep, he's next. He's going to be coming to NXT very soon. I've not seen his in-ring. I've seen a little bit of his in-ring stuff because I saw um, stuff from uh, WWN Live uh, on their YouTube, and, and that was really cool. But yeah, he's he's legit. He's as legit as it gets, and he's definitely going to be coming to NXT very soon, man. I can't wait to see what he does with that. Velveteen Dream's entrance at NXT Takeover shows exactly why he is one of the best in all of WWE. He made the Mountie theme song cool. He made it cool. And a lot of people don't like the Mountie. I'm not a big fan of the Mountie. Um, my dude Russell has sang the song one time and I almost wanted to bomb it in front of him. Um, I don't necessarily like the Mountie. It's not, he's not a uh, favorite of mine. But he made it look cool. He made it cool. And then the Toronto uh, Raptors dancer, dance team came out. They, and I'm going to tell y'all right now. Um, old Canada. That home and native name. Y'all got some... Y'all got some... I am just a man. After all, I'm just a man. 
but them them, them, them lady dancers on the Toronto Raptors team and, um, and the redhead um, Alessia what up though but they, yeah they got some y'all but then they added on and then of course you know Toronto Raptors 2019 NBA champions that got an easy that was an easy pop that was a cheap pop I'm like David Trips, you trying to go for that cheap pop you need to stop uh, but dancers came out and then out comes Velveteen Dream and I'm just like oh shit I was because I wasn't thinking properly with that one. I was thinking, oh, they're just having a little dance break. Um, and I was about to tweet out, oh, so we're having the uh, the five-minute dance break for the show. I think Carmella and our truth might get a little jealous. That was literally what I was going to tweet out. And then out comes Velveteen Dream, and I literally was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and he come out. Crowd's going bananas right then and there. He's coming out full suspender, mounting shit, rocking Canada colors, and I'm just like, motherfucker. He did it again. He did it a fucking again. Every I I said it on Twitter on Saturday night. I always think that Velveteen Dream can't one up his own entrances at takeovers. The Statue of Liberty in New York that was bananas. The entrance he had at TakeOver 25, that was bananas. And then he does it again, being the fucking Mountie at TakeOver Toronto. He did it a fucking game. What's he going to do in Chicago? What's he going to do for TakeOver War Games? How is he going to pull this off? If he's still NXT champion, or if he's still a major player going into TakeOver War Games, how the fuck is he going to be topping this entrance? I think his best entrance, bar none, hands down, uh, I want to say New York was his best entrance ever. That's the Statue of Liberty shit. Uh, he killed it. He absolutely fucking nailed it with uh, that entrance. That I say was his best entrance since he became a big since he became a big fucking deal with Alistair Black. I mean, the one in Chicago was was it Chicago where he did Hollywood Hogan. I know it was last year. The Hollywood Hogan one was pretty dope too. That one was pretty fire, but I think his best one was in TakeOver New York. Hi. You wake up from your nap, huh? You're getting a bath today. Yeah, she doesn't, yeah, my, my dog is not, is not happy with the fact she's getting a bath today. She's not happy. She'll be all right, though. She's going to find a way. But to end the good, that was... SummerSlam weekend. Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar, I gotta give y'all a standing up Closing the show. Proper way to end SummerSlam. They did their job. I think this was, I mean, I gave it a lot of shit. I was hoping that Brock Lesnar was just gonna beat the crap out of Seth Rollins and just do it like they did with John Cena a, a, a few years ago. I was hoping they would do that. They did a bit of that, but unfortunately they didn't do all that. And I was kind of butthurt that they didn't have Brock Lesnar just destroy Seth Rollins and just, you know, it was a broken man. Just just break him, destroy him, end him, send him packing for a couple months, come back revamped, all that good stuff. But for all that, Seth Rollins is now once again your universal champion. Even after getting swung around like a like a rag doll, 
buy his tape. That shit's funny. <laughs> Dude, Brock Lesnar picked him up by his tape and chucked that man as if he were a small child. I was a laughing my ass off. I was literally dying. I was on the couch, just fell out, just laughing. Dead. Dead to the world. <laughs> but in the end, I gotta say, in terms of the Universe Championships history, this is probably the best title match they've had that WWE's put on. Bar none. Um, it was a great, it was a better match than I anticipated it would be. Um, Seth Rollins as champion. I mean, I, I hope from I hope from this day forward they treat this belt properly and they treat Seth Rollins properly because the build they have for this man made him look like a straight up bitch, like a straight up bitch. But in the end, you know, Seth Seth fought through all the adversity, all the ass whooping. And somehow, in the end, won back the, won back the Universal Championship. If that was the storyline they were going with. Well done. They they did their job, and hopefully, going forward, Brock Lesnar just you know goes away for a while, and he just gets ready for um, October. And hopefully, they have him go to you know get ready for the SmackDown debut on Fox for October. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was my good. That was SummerSlam weekend. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to listen from our sponsor. And then we're going to get right into the bad. That was SummerSlam weekend. And trust me when I tell you, there was a lot of good, but there was just as much bad. Even though there's less points, bigger, terrible moments from this weekend. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We are back with episode 95, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That was SummerSlam weekend, and we get into what I consider my favorite portion of the program. I know you guys always enjoy the, everything that comes with it, so I appreciate every single one of y'all for checking them all out. The Bad. That was SummerSlam weekend. The biggest headline, and this wasn't even in my notes, but there was a really big headline coming out of SummerSlam weekend. Most of us, myself included, were poised and prepared for the, what I thought was the eventual crowning of this of an entire stable getting dripped in gold. I was preparing for the Undisputed Era to have all the gold in terms of the men's side of NXT. And it looked like they had NXT had other plans. Um, and that was a, I mean, I mean, it's, it's not like, it's just a nickname um, to see the Undisputed Era go one in three in their championship matches. One in two, actually. Yeah, yeah one in two. Uh, in their championship matches on Saturday night. Uh, it kind of shocked me that they weren't going to go for that. They had, it was the biggest opportunity they had to have stable supremacy and what they could actually do for 
NXT going forward, just having that intrigue of like, okay, how are they going to stop, you know, the dominance of a stable that's drifting gold? And it kind of shocked me that they didn't go about that. I'm sure the idea was up in the air for sure. I'm sure that idea was tossed around in creative meetings and all that. But it kind of shocked me that they didn't really pull that trigger and really try to see what what creative op, no, avenue they can have going with this. So that was probably like the one of the bigger headlines that Undisputed Era didn't end the night with gold. That because that visual at the end of Takeover Toronto would have been sick if Cole beat Gargano. Every member of Undisputed Era coming out with gold. That visual at the end of Takeover, that lasting image that all four men had gold, would have been a great way to end Toronto, Takeover Toronto with. Just, I mean, it's a nitpick, but it would have been really cool to see what they would have been able to do going forward into Takeover War Games three in Chicago, and possibly like a winner take all War Games match, and something along those lines. You know, just to see what they would have been able to do with that. But I guess they figured Street Profits were still, you know, were early in their title reign. They wanted to give them a good run. Um, Velveteen Dream, they felt, was not ready to drop the championship just yet. So I get that from that aspect. But they've really been rude. Words are hard. It really would have been cool to see, you know, that lasting visual to end Toronto with all four men with gold, standing at the top of the ramp with championships in tow and now we go into how we're going to get these titles off the men, because they would have been the most hated group in all of NXT and possibly in all of WWE if you really think about that so, that's just a little nitpick from yours truly it wasn't in my notes, but it was something I really wanted to talk about to kick off this segment of the podcast it's safe to say that Baszler versus Yim was the worst match of TakeOver Toronto. And it's not because of Baszler. Baszler is legitimate as a women's champion. One of the best women's title reigns I have basically seen in the years I've watched NXT. But it showed Mia Yim doesn't really have that it factor. I thought, I hope she would going into this matchup. Um, the crowd for a majority of this match really was silent. Um, when she came out, the crowd pop wasn't as big as like it, it should have been, um, and it kind of it didn't it shouldn't have surprised me as much as it did. I got some popcorn on my teeth, excuse me. But it really kind of shocked me a little bit that Mia Yip didn't get that you know as much of a crowd pop as I thought she was going to. You know, the crowd pop wasn't as big. It was kind of crickets throughout the entire match. Um, with these two, and Baszler retaining was the right call, of course. But it showed, I guess, it showed that you know it was just kind of a a way to get Baszler to the next step, in a sense. And you know, like I said, Mia Yim is a top tier is is one of the, was one of the top tier ladies I talked about in my top five in the women's division right now. I still think she is. It's just that maybe she just needs a tad bit more seasoning 
to get her over with the full sale. Well, I mean, in full sale, she does get love. She gets a lot of love from the full sale crowd. But in terms of branching out and doing takeovers, I guess the crowd reception wasn't as as, as much as I hoped it would be for her matchup with Baszler, and it should. So that was kind of it. Was kind of wasn't a big nitpick, no. But it was kind of the things that I noticed that this was really that was really the worst match of Takeover, Toronto two on Saturday night. Um, it just crowd wasn't really behind it. The match was decent. The match was decent. Um, it did get the dead spot though on the card. The match before Takeover uh, for Cole and Gargano. So it kind of does suck. I know. I know, Marley. Yes, I know. You didn't like it either. I know. You fell asleep during the match too. It's okay. You can admit it. You don't got to look at me. It's all right. I understand. But, you know, it, I thought it was going to come across better with Mia Yim and Baszler. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. AJ Styles versus Ricochet should have been one of the best matches of the entire weekend, but it ended up being nothing more than a match that was worthy of being on Monday Night Raw. And Marley goes back to sleep. <laughs> this match wasn't good. It was okay. But it really shows that when you over when you overplay your hand with these two, this match should have been literally one of the best matches of SummerSlam's card last night. Hands down, without question. It should have easily been the best match of the weekend, hands down. And it should have easily this match was easily gonna I hope I was hoping this match would have been in my top three. But this is what happens when you have three or four matches between these two prior to the match at SummerSlam. AJ Styles and Ricochet, they had the match at Extreme Rules. It was good. It was okay. And the gauntlet match that Ricochet had, it was predictable. Very predictable that he was going to get the shot against AJ. But having three or four matches prior to the match they had at SummerSlam really screwed WWE over. It really did. Um, the outfit that uh, Ricochet was wearing last night was a bit over the top. Um, I know a lot of people were marking out for the Nightwing deal. You know, I thought it was Black. It was Nightwing meets Black Panther type stuff. I marked out a little bit. I thought it was cool. I thought it was a decent outfit. You know, a little something different. Especially given the fact that on SummerSlam they had uh, Billy Kay come out as Maleficent, uh, Alexa Bliss was uh, came out as Buzz in Buzz Lightyear gear. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Gargano came out as uh, Wolverine, if I'm not mistaken. On that, that was a really cool uh, setup with his gear. Really, really cool. Um, just the match itself didn't really hit its mark. Um, I thought this would have been a lot better. I, I thought it could have been a lot better. With this, I thought it would I really, really thought that it was going to be better than I thought it looked at. It was looked at last night. Third match of the night on the card. I thought it would have been better placed in the middle, but it made sense to keep that there. It just didn't hit. It just didn't hit for me. And it never really got out of second gear. It got out of first gear, but it never really got past that second gear at all. Never got past second gear. I thought this was going to be a much longer match. Than expected, but it just never really got to that point where I was even more invested than I should have been. You know what I mean? This, 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 it, it, it didn't do the job. You know, I don't know about that, Chief. I don't know about that. 
And I hope this is the end of the feud. I hope that now Ricochet and uh, AJ Styles go their separate ways and Ricochet can start feuding with someone else. AJ Styles now starts getting a new opponent at Clash of Champions. There's no reason for these two to even face each other anymore. Clash of Champions, AJ Styles should get a new challenger for the uh, United States Championship and Ricochet should fight, be, be fighting someone else going forward. The SummerSlam kickoff show didn't do much for me in terms of match quality at all. I didn't care for the SummerSlam kickoff at all. I The uh, Cruiserweight Championship, and I'll always forever say this until they actually start doing it, they should be on the main card. They should be on the main card, if nothing else than being the main event of the kickoff show. The title match was decent. Um, Gulag retaining the championship was the right call. Um, there's not really anyone... I mean, with... Only Lorcan getting the shot six days before um, SummerSlam. Um, it, it the build to it wasn't much because I mean Only Lorcan on Twitter saying you know he wanted the shot, he wanted to be the next shot, he wanted to get a shot against Drew Gulak, and that did its job. But overall, you know the the women's tag team championship match was boring as fuck. That was so boring. And I really didn't care for it one bit. I could have cared less about the women's title match. And I hope, and I really hope Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross lose the championships tonight against the Oscar and Kyrie Sane. I really hope they do. Because right now, Oscar and Kyrie Sane as tag champions, I think could definitely fit the bill going forward. I hope that it's just, you know, a transitional championship and Oscar and Kyrie treat, get treated with the belts properly. I, that's my hope for the night. That's my bold prediction for the night. That Kyrie and Asuka win the Women's Tag Team Championships and take it off of Alexa and uh, Nikki. And they are given a very dominant title reign that they both deserve. You know, besides the fact that uh, Elias got speared by Edge, that was cool. Um, Buddy Murphy versus Apollo Crews. I missed that match because I took a shower. Um... But Buddy Murphy had had a, like, literally debuted in April, had his first match officially last night, and it ended in a DQ. But it made sense because of Rowan coming out and you know attacking Buddy Murphy for for dry snitching on Rowan and telling him to keep his name uh, out of uh, Buddy's mouth. So that made sense in that aspect. But the kickoff show was just piss poor to me. It just really didn't hit. Uh, didn't really get anyone, didn't get me hyped up for the show. I just wanted to see how well the main card was going to go going forward, and that was it. Bailey versus Ember Moon. What fucking happened? That match was terrible. Um, the crowd was nowhere near into it. I thought this was going to be one of the better women's matches of the weekend. It was a fresh matchup. Um, first time these two would face each other, um, ever in, uh, WWE period. Um, Ember Moon, I thought this build was, I thought this build was okay. I thought the build was okay by my standards, but the matchup, when we got to it, it was boring. I was bored. I was, I was not impressed by these two in the ring. Um, Bailey retained her championship. I believe I had Ember Moon winning. Um, 
and I'm okay with being wrong on that one. That was the because the matchup was just bad. The match was really bad. The only highlight was the ending of the matchup, the super ability in the belly off the top rope. That's it. I mean, you know, Ember went for the Eclipse once, missed it. Just, just that match just didn't really do anything for me. And with the with the division as a whole for SmackDown Live, with as much women as they have in that division, they should literally have be the competitive division in WWE. Of all women's divisions. Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and NXT UK Women's Division. That should literally be the most competitive division in WWE right the fuck now. And it's not. Not even close. It's a shame that, you know, when you have Asuka, Kyrie Sane, um, Liv Morgan, Charlotte Flair, Bailey, Ember, Carmella, the Iconics, um, Think I'm trying to think of the rest of it. Sonya and Mandy and all these ladies. You can't have a competitive division. Your division is what I considered stacked in terms of the main roster women. Stacked. And it came across very badly. Crowd, like I said, crowd was not even crowd was crickets for this matchup. Crowd was in Toronto was not having it. And it showed. It was Terrible. On two weeks of build, Charlotte Flair versus Trish Stratus showed why this feud needed so much more time to be built and have intrigue as this match ended up just being decent. Yes, it was Trish Stratus's uh, last match in WWE. Um, she did say she wanted one more match. Um, the match was okay, but uh, I, I I was digging it, you know. Trish Stratus did get better as the match went on, but a lot of people were saying on uh, Twitter that she she was definitely getting carried by Charlotte, and it showed. Um, a good moment of that match was the figure eight by Trish. That was really cool. Um, Trish Stratus, unless she still had it. Um, the one shot that they had of uh, Trish just uh, looming over Charlotte, Charlotte uh, in the ropes uh, where the camera was, looking um, with that face, so that she knew the something was going to come. Comes back, hits the big boot. That was really cool. It did get up to second gear. Um, it did what it was supposed to do, I guess. Just that, that just it needed. It, this that, this was definitely one of those views that needed so much more time than two weeks. It needed so much more fucking time than what we were given. Two weeks of build. Not even close. For a match of this caliber, for two ladies who are one who is a fall, already a Hall of Famer, and by most people's standards, Charlotte, who is going to be a Hall of Famer when all is said and done in her career, this match should have been better, bigger, more hype, more excitement, more investment. And it failed to do that. I mean, the crowd was hyped for Trish as she came in. You know, big, 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 big crowd pop for Charlotte. Of course, hometown girl. And it just didn't come across that well. To me, I was bored. Not like in the sense of like really bad bored, but I was like, 
Like, when you're looking at this match, this definitely needed more build. It needed another, like, two to four weeks of build. You know, it, it, this should have kicked off right after Charlotte was not going to be included in the SmackDown Live Women's Championship match. You know, saying, see, this just started two weeks prior to her promo. I'm going to do something better. And that's what happens when you don't build up a feud properly. You can't have a feud off a two, three weeks build. You just can't. You just can't fucking do it. And it it really comes across terribly once you get to the pay-per-view. You need time to help this develop. It's like they put four weeks of build into two weeks. Because all you had was Trish coming out for the King's Court, Charlotte coming out of Challenger to a match at SummerSlam, Trish agrees... Charlotte then comes out the next week, does the uh, video package, didn't come across the way she wanted to. Trish comes out, talking her smack, gets smashed the shit out of Charlotte. This needed more time to be built, and it showed. Match was okay. Thank you, Trish, for all for your service in WWE. We appreciate you, of course. One of the greatest women in WWE's history. But it needed a lot more time to develop. A little bit more storyline. A little bit more something, something. Know what I mean? I needed a little extra on the game. Just needed a little something. And to round out the bad, because they're, I mean, like I said, I mean, when you're looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly with just two shows, you're going to get a lot more good than bad because NXT was the shit. But this is a, this was probably the biggest, one of the bigger headlines, along with uh, Undisputed Era's not being able to become drifting gold in 2019. And what should have been a match of the night candidate? Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton ended up being a waste of a match with a disappointing ending. I mean, how the fuck are you going to end a WWE Championship match on a goddamn double countout? Why? Just so you can extend the feud to Class of Champions? This... I get it. I, I understand. Kofi Kingston is champion. Definitely, it's cool. I like it. I love me some Kofi Kingston. I love me some New Day. Y'all know that. But I, right, last night was should have been the true last night of Kofi Kingston's title reign. This easily should have been booked with Fox in October in mind. Randy Orton is a bigger name draw than Kofi Kingston. And y'all can quote me on that. That's on the record. And I'm going to say it again. Randy Orton, in terms of name recognition and well-known himself, a well-known entity, is bigger than Kofi Kingston. This should have been Randy Orton's night. Hands fucking down. This should have been the night that Randy Orton ended everything for Kofi. RK, that RKO was magical. And that, sh- that right there should have ended the match. But no. It ended up being a fuck... Like, literally, I went to the bathroom because I figured, okay, WWE Championship is going to be a long match. I have time to go take a piss real quick. I come out of the bathroom, bell rang. I'm thinking, holy shit, Randy won. That was my first thought. Yes, Randy Orton's the new WWE Champion. 
and instead they're brawling on the outside. What? Why? What sense does that even make for this to even be extended? This had all the makings of a Randy Orton championship victory. Coming out of SummerSlam, as we head into October, hell, I don't care if you could have done the rematch of Clash of Champions between Randy and Kofi. Even though, apparently, quote-unquote, there are no more rematch clauses, even though the Iconics got a tag team championship rematch against Alexa and Nikki. Weird flex, but okay. But this was a marquee matchup. A decade in the fucking making. A decade in the making. And you end it on a double fucking countout. And you can tell the Toronto crowd was not pleased with that. They booed the fuck out of that decision. I was pissed. I even put it on, I made a video on Instagram last night. I was pissed. And I'm still pissed. SummerSlam used to be the, like, when you call it the biggest party of the summer, usually a big four pay-per-view is one of those things where it ends feuds. It ends confrontations that have been built up over months. Literally, and I'd stated this in my preview prediction show, Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston literally went back to all the way, this feud in 2019, the 2019 version of it, went back all the way to February. The video package explained everything. Without Randy Orton breaking Ali's nose, okay, per storyline, Kofi Kingston would have never even been in the Elimination Chamber. Kofi Kingston would have never been WWE Champion because of Randy Orton. This had been built up for months, and I knew Orton-Kingston was going to be the matchup. It is a fucking shame that this that match didn't end the way it was supposed to. With a clear-cut winner. With a clear-cut winner, clean victory. Didn't matter if it was Kingston or Randy. I had Randy winning because it made the most fucking sense. And you end it on a double countout just to get the feud extended to Classic Champions. That is disrespectful to a lot of fans. Kofi fans, Randy fans, and WWE fans in general. You do not end the match of that caliber with this much backstory the way they they did last fucking night. They are lucky. Bray Wyatt's debut and Brock and Seth, the main event, was well done. Because if it wasn't, trust me, we would be, I would be trashing the entire event. They are lucky that Bray Wyatt's debut and Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar came across as well as they did. They are think they should be thinking they're lucky fucking stars right now today. That this matchup, that the, the, they should be thinking the lucky stars it happened the way it did. The last forty five minutes of SummerSlam because if the last forty five minutes of SummerSlam was trash. And they didn't have Wyatt Balor in that second to last spot. And they didn't have Seth versus Brock come across the way it did. Trust me when I tell you this would even be more magnified. 
that in and of itself, this match was a true injustice for the WWE fans, for the fan, for the WWE, WWE faithful. It is trash that you would end a WWE Championship match of this caliber that way. So now we're gonna ex- we're now we're gonna extend a feud to Class Champion September fifteenth. And how are we going to keep this going? How are you going to extend this feud now for another four weeks? How? Because now, technically, you have five weeks of build between now and Class of Champions. Over the next five episodes, how are you going to figure this out? Because you have tomorrow night, August 20th, August 27th, September 4th and September 11th show. You have five weeks of build. Over the next five episodes, you better make me invest in this rematch more than you ever have for the next five weeks. Otherwise, I'm gonna we're gonna come back when we do the good, the bad, and the ugly that was Class of Champions, and I'm gonna talk more shit about the fact this should have concluded at SummerSlam. They have five episodes to build this rematch. And they better get it fucking right. With a conclusion that makes sense. Uh, this rivalry needs should have ended last night with a definitive winner. And it didn't. And Toronto was pissed. And they booed with good reason to do so. On a big four pay-per-view, you're going to end a top championship match on a double countout. Such dis respect and that ladies and gentlemen was the bad that was SummerSlam weekend and up next y'all know y'all know what time it is the ugly that was SummerSlam weekend and it's only one topic and I kind of alluded to it in the beginning of this episode of the podcast but we're going to explain it further We're going to explain it further. So take a quick break and we'll get right into the ugly that was SummerSlam weekend. We'll be right back. And we will end episode 95 of the Young Lions Perspective. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That was SummerSlam weekend with the ugly. And the obvious ugly. That was SummerSlam weekend. Just like I thought would end up happening, NXT TakeOver 2 ended up destroying SummerSlam and proves once again why NXT is the superior brand over WWE at this very moment. It's no secret that I've stated plenty of times that over the last three years, NXT, in terms of Big Four weekends, has effectively destroyed WWE at WrestleMania weekend, SummerSlam weekend, Survivor Series weekend, and Royal Rumble weekend. Every single time. That's literally 12 pay-per-views. 
over three years. Now, technically 14 over the last four, or three and a half. I've stated that WWE has only come close to tying NXT at one. And that was San Antonio a couple years ago. NXT's dominance over WWE over Big Four weekends shows the difference between putting investment in storylines, investment in character development, and hype for actual matches. Week after week, NXT has shown you, especially I'd say in 2019, the entirety of 2019 so far, that they are superior. NXT and NXT UK have shown you. Since NXT UK's inception back late last year, that they are even superior to the main roster right now. Going into this weekend, this past weekend, I knew NXT TakeOver Toronto was going to beat the living hell out of WWE SummerSlam. And with good reason. WWE doesn't get it. And they still won't get it until they get their heads out of their asses and start taking notes from Triple H. There have been a a massive amount of people who have wanted Vince McMahon out for years, myself included. I still think that. Yes, he has his moments to shine and has his moments to actually give us something in terms of moments where we can be like, wow, Vince McMahon actually did that. Bray Wyatt, for example, last night. But overall, Vince McMahon is beginning destroyed by Triple H's ideas. And you've seen it especially since late last year going into early this year in January when he brought in EC3, Nikki Cross, Heavy Machinery, Lacey Evans, and Lars Sullivan. EC3, to which a certain prominent name on Twitter in the wrestling uh, wrestling uh, sphere, I'm not going to put his name out there because I don't want to get blasted, but he and one other person that I'm cool with on Twitter had a conversation about EC3. To which he had said, and I quote, EC3 will be world champion by summer at SummerSlam weekend. Trust me when I tell you when I heard that, I was laughing my ass off. For the simple fact that I knew EC3 was going to get buried by Vince McMahon. But the fact that he left WWE to go over to Impact Wrestling. EC3 is world championship material. EC3 has all the makings of being a world champion. But when you don't book him like he's a world champion or just leave him in fucking catering for a majority of the year, what does that say about Vince McMahon and how he treats the new talent coming up from NXT? Up. Good shit, good shit. Good girl. What does that honestly say about how Vince McMahon feels about NXT. Now there is a report out, a legit report that says going into October, he will have more oversight of NXT. Him and Kevin Dunn are going to have more oversight of NXT. The response to that from fans was not a good one. It was all negative. Completely negative. If Vince McMahon honestly 
takes the reins of NXT, you better start praying for NXT. We already know how the main roster is right now with NXT. But our main roster is completely. And there have been reports that I have talked about on this on this podcast. You can go check those out. More recent episodes. Where it was stated that Vince McMahon was going to in the in the battle against AEW, and I'm putting that in air quotes big time. That he was going to add main roster superstars to NXT programming week in and week out. Especially if they move over to FS1 in October. And start making it a two-hour program to, to compete with AEW Wednesday Night Dynamite. If that's what they're actually going to call it. Seriously. They need to reconsider that. Vince McMahon should be nowhere near NXT. That is not his baby. It is not his everything. Vince McMahon has put everything into NXT over the past few years. Everything to give us the best possible programming. Week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And if he starts putting his hands on NXT... It is only a matter of time before it begins its slow, painful, and unmerciless demise. I would have no hope for NXT if, if uh, Vince McMahon starts taking over for NXT. I hope it's a joke. I hope literally this is just a troll move by reports that, you know, that this is actually happening. Because if it does happen, we're in trouble. We are in some fucking trouble. I don't like, I wouldn't like that move one bit, and I know you wouldn't either. It would be an embarrassment for NXT to be taken over by Vince McMahon. What does, Vince McMahon has had nothing to do with NXT. There have been reports that stated he doesn't even watch NXT. But yet he wants those, yeah, he wants those call-ups. He wants Johnny. I know he wants Adam Cole in the Undisputed Era, and I know for sure as hell he wants Velveteen Dream. But when you look at the more recent call-ups, have they honestly done anything with an EC3, with a Lars Sullivan, with a Heavy Machinery, with a Lacey Evans, who's probably gotten the best kind of push, period? With a Nikki Cross. Just because she won the Women's Tag Team Championship doesn't mean they're not booking her right, because they're booking her terribly. Buddy Murphy just got his first match. In four months on WWE programming. Cedric Alexander was in a program with Drew McIntyre for like three weeks. Mustafa Ali really hasn't been featured prominently. Shinsuke Nakamura, even though he's Intercontinental Champion, really didn't get much pull, get much pull until after four months, until like three months after WrestleMania. Kevin Owens, maybe. Seth Rollins and Roman will probably be the biggest ones to come out of the NXT period. The Four Horsewomen, prior to the Four Horsewomen, maybe have gotten the best pushes. But overall, Vince McMahon's track track record with NXT call-ups has not been a good one. Triple H creates, Vince McMahon destroys. I I know for a fact, he knows deep down inside, when he looks inside his dark soul, that he knows NXT is better than WWE right now. But he can't have that. He can't have that 
that thought in his head that, man, NXT's better than us. We gotta destroy them. Instead of building what they've already, what NXT already helped build with these new characters, he would rather destroy that and book it in his image. Bobby Roode is a big example of what not to do with NXT call-ups. This man has... This man in NXT... He was, he was one of the best in NXT prior to his call-up. A prick-like heel from Manhattan won the NXT Championship, showed his ass, and had a, a really solid title reign. And it was a really cool title reign. Gets brought up to WWE. Gets brought up to Monday Night Raw. Debut was decent. De- debut was decent. Then for some reason he got paired with Chad Gable. That really didn't work out too well. Now all of a sudden, he's not even on the show. I have I haven't seen Bobby Roode in months. I think the last time we saw Bobby Roode was last month. He's the first ever, no, he's the second ever 24-7 champion. He has had not held not one major championship in WWE. Besides the tag, maybe I think he was a tag, I think he was a tag team champion. I think maybe in his career in WWE. But other than that, never fought for the Intercontinental Championship. I think maybe he was he had a run, he had a shot at the United States Championship. I don't know. We're gonna look it up real quick. We're gonna look up Bobby Roode WWE career. Gonna look this up right now. Oh, Team Canada. Oh, that was cool. Okay, so yeah. In his WWE run. Okay, yeah, he did. Okay, he was an United States champion. You know. And sort of rivalry with the United States champion, Baron Corbin, leading to the match for the title of December... Okay, so yeah, he was a one-time United States champion. You know. But it was trash. It was absolute trash. Absolutely terrible. And ever since then, you know, it just really hasn't done anything for him. Like, he's been featured on main event more than he has been featured on uh, programming. It just, it, it's, it's terrible right now. And this man was a former two-time NWA World Tag Team Champion, former King of the Mountain winner, former TNA Heavyweight Champion, former fucking World Heavyweight Champion twice, won the TNA Tag Team Championship six times with uh, James Storm as Team Beer Money, won the Bound for Glory series. You know, this man was a prominent name prior to him 
coming to uh, WWE and it's it's just terrible how they've treated Bobby Roode. But that's one big example of what you know happens when you bring up talent that are literally prepared to come up, and all you have to do is just take that character and develop it more and build it to higher heights. Intercontinental Championships, World Champion. Like Bobby Roode is certified World Champion material. There are so many names. Him, Drew McIntyre, Cesaro, Aleister Black, Ricochet, Finn, Kevin, Seth, all these guys. Apollo Crews, Buddy Murphy. All these, there's so many names that are literally major players that you can utilize and you don't, and he has not utilized them at all whatsoever. He has either buried them or just given them bad treatment in WWE when they got called up. Again, Triple H creates. Vince McMahon destroys. And what we're seeing now is some of the worst quality booking I have ever seen in WWE. Coming off of SummerSlam, seriously, they need an entire complete reset. Or once again, come Survivor Series weekend, when we get to take over War Games 3 in Chicago, NXT is going to beat that ass once again. And WWE is going to look terrible because of it. And all you can you can have him have Paul Heyman, you can have him have Eric fucking Bischoff. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if Vince McMahon doesn't get his head out of his ass and realizes maybe I need to take some notes from Triple H, they're gonna look the same come October. They're gonna look terrible going into the fall, and come twenty twenty, they may be even looked as irrelevant. They are going to be looked at as irrelevant. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was SummerSlam weekend. And now we get into our grades, our top three matches of the weekend, and who I will crown SummerSlam weekend MVP. So let's start off with the grades. NXT TakeOver Toronto 2. Great show. Another great show. Again, they just every single time they show up for a TakeOver, they come out to play. They kill it every single time. The one down, the one down, the huge down was the Shayna Baszler Mia Yim matchup. And you have to take that into account when doing final grains or giving your final show ratings. With this alone, I give Toronto, take over Toronto 2, a B plus. A good show that would have been a better show had Baszler Mia Yim been better. Had the show been better because of that, the show because of that match, that pretty much dumped its grade down. This could have easily been an A show without question, an A show, not an A plus show because I would say that'd be the greatest show I've ever seen. But an A show would have been easily attainable had Baszler and Yim been better. As far as SummerSlam goes. This show was an utter disappointment as a, as a big four pay-per-view. And I've stated that throughout the entire podcast. I make my case for that. Becky Lynch, Natalia, Ziggler selling, Edge coming out, you know, during the kickoff, Bray Wyatt's debut, and Seth Rollins saved this show. The last 45 minutes of SummerSlam saved their asses from getting a much lower grade from yours truly than the one I'm giving it. And I'm being quite generous on this grade. Because literally, this could have been 
D plus D plus D. This is this should have been D territory. Had Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar not done what they were supposed to do, this would have easily been a D show from yours truly. But I'm giving them a C minus because of the fact that Bray Wyatt, Seth Rollins, and Brock Lesnar saved the show. Without those two segments, the show would have easily been close to D D minus territory. Big four pay-per-views always get the tighter grades. They always are looked at, from me, of a bigger standard. Because they have to be. Because there are big shows of the year. SummerSlam got lucky with Bray Wyatt's debut and Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar. Because if it wasn't, Becky Lynch versus Natalya would have been match of the night. Easily match of the night. Like I said, SummerSlam got real lucky with that last 45 minutes, man. So let's look at our top three matches of the weekend. And there's a lot to look at. But at number three, I'm going with Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship at the main event of SummerSlam. They, I, I, I thought this match was going to be a straight-up reincarnation of John Cena versus Brock Lesnar a few years ago at SummerSlam. Where Cena just took suplex after suplex after beatdown after beatdown. I thought it was going to be that kind of match. That's the kind of match I was hoping for. And luckily, and surprisingly, they proved me wrong. It was a better match than I expected it to be. It was probably the best ever Universal Championship match since the title was brought into the fold. I believe in 2017. Really good match. A lot of intrigue. Heyman's reactions to everything was solid. Brock Lesnar beating the shit out of Seth for a majority of the match was good. Seth coming back with the resolve and the uh, intestinal fortitude to fight through the early storm. Stomp out Brock Lesnar and win the championship back. Well done. Very well told story in the ring. Number two. I'm going to give that to the Street Profits and the Undisputed Era from TakeOver Toronto, opening the show properly. I think this was the best way to kick off SummerSlam weekend in terms of pay-per-views. I mean, you could add, and honestly, and I'm going to make an amendment. I'm going to actually go back to three for a second. I'm actually going to tie this. I'm actually going to have a tie with Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar, and I'm going to include Io Shirai and Candice LeRae, tied at three. Because that match, like I said, that match was the... Best women's match of the weekend. Hands down. And that really should be looked at as one of the best matches of the weekend. This match was great. This match was really, really fucking good. And cemented EO as a proper heel. Candice LeRae definitely put on a show as well. And, you know, it deserves to be in my top three. So before we get, before I give you why Street Profits and Undisputed Air got two, it's going to be now a tie for third with Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar and Io Shirai and Candice LeRae. Let that be known. So shall it be written. So shall it be done. Back to number two, Street Profits versus Undisputed Era. As I said, this was a great way to kick off. Take over Toronto 2. Very well done match. The, I think this is the best match to kick off the weekend. Like I said, great way to kick off the show. Very hot crowd. Um, a lot of people were definitely back in the Undisputed Era. I had the Undisputed Era winning. Street Profits winning was was a perfect was alright I'm okay with, with the decision that's fine not gonna be mad at it at all 
we I felt that Street Profits were getting ready to drop the belts, but hey, it wasn't their. I guess NXT thought it wasn't their time just yet, and that's fine with me. Long prestigious title reigns add more prestige to the tag team championships. But now going forward, how are the Street Profits going to react against the new team? Who is the next team up to face them? Who knows? It could be the winner of the uh, breakout tournament. It could be that. It could be either Jordan Miles or Cameron Grimes choosing the Street Profits as a challenge for the Tag Team Championships. Who knows? It could be that route. I don't know. But this was a wonderful match, a well-paced match that had a lot of great moments in this matchup. And the Street Profits stock goes way up. The Undisputed Era's stock, it goes up as well. Matches like those add to the credibility of teams involved in the matchup, and the Street Profits' credibility goes higher, and especially retaining the championship over a team like the Undisputed Era, it goes up exponentially. And my match of SummerSlam weekend should be a very obvious one. Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano, three, three stages of hell. That was a 65 minutes of just put your phone down, don't tweet, just watch kind of matchup. The investment between this feud from TakeOver New York until now was fantastic. A nice four-month journey. A nice, well-done four-month journey. To get from New York until Toronto. It was well done. The match from beginning to end was well done. The disqualification by Gargano hit him with the chair to lead into the second fall. The the cage, the final fall of cage um, with the weapons and the barb. It was beautiful. Beautifully done. Adam Cole retaining the championship was the right call. Uh, and this was a proper send-off for Johnny Gargano. If he's going to the main roster starting tonight. This was well orchestrated. Whoever produced it, well done to you. This was a great matchup and should definitely be in consideration for match of the year candidate. Not by everybody, but a good portion of people. The ending of that match was insane. It was just it was just beautifully done. And there's no better way to actually send off the weekend with that. My SummerSlam weekend MVP. When I was talking about, you know, changing my decision. I changed, I had Adam Cole as my MVP. And then I was thinking about it as I was recording this. There was no other person that had quite the night than Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt is my SummerSlam weekend MVP, and he deserves to be MVP of SummerSlam weekend. Hands down, that debut as The Fiend, one of the best highlights of the weekend. Everybody will be talking about this for the next couple of days. Man, did you see that Bray Wyatt debut? Did you see that? The, The music, the entrance. The lantern, the dominance that he had over Finn Balor, not as the demon, but as his regular Finn Balor, 
Just everything about it, the crowd reaction after the music had stopped. It was well done. And one of the best things I have literally seen all year in 2019. It was it was perfect. It was proper. It was well done. And hopefully, going forward, they don't overuse The Fiend. They don't overuse The Fiend as a whole. They have, should have Bray Wyatt come out as regular Bray Wyatt for matches, same music and everything. But in terms of The Fiend, he should only come out for special moments. Big matches, big pay-per-views. Do not overuse The Fiend. Use it when it's needed. After SummerSlam, it's not needed right now. Maybe not until Survivor Series. You can use it then. Use it for big-time pay-per-views. Use it for pay-per-views. But don't use it every single week. Don't use it as a weekly thing. Because if you use it, if you overuse it, it overstays its welcome. And then we get tired of it. Use it for special moments. Use it for big matches. An Aleister Black match at at a WrestleMania. That would be something I would like to see. You know what I mean? But yeah, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was SummerSlam weekend. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to close out the show properly and get you prepared for episode 96 of the Young Lions Perspective. We'll be right back. Well, guys, that's going to be it for episode 95 of the Young Lions Perspective. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That was SummerSlam weekend. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day, your night, your afternoon, your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to check out this episode of the podcast. And as always, I greatly appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, do not hesitate to share this episode across all your social media, your Instagram, your Facebook your Twitter, your Bumble, your Tumblr, your Tinder profile, your LinkedIn, doesn't matter what you got. Share this episode and let the people know that the Young Lions perspective, especially on the road to the greatest day of professional wrestling in 2019, August 31st, that the Young Lions perspective is your alternative for professional wrestling podcast and that we are here to stay. Now, as I put in my Instagram video um, on my stories, there is a voice message feature on anchor.com anchor.fm i should say slash young lions perspective leaving a voice message man let me know what you thought about the show any opinions you may have of SummerSlam and take over toronto too let me know what you think if you thought i said you know i was wrong about one thing and this should have been a good or this actually shouldn't have been a bad or there was a better ugly that i could have talked about let's keep this conversation going man go on my page anchor.com f anchor.fm slash Young Lions Perspective and leave me a voice message and let me know what you thought about today's episode. You never know. You might be featured on a future episode of the Young Lions Perspective. If you do not have the Anchor app and you want to listen to this episode again or any of the other 94 episodes of the Young Lions Perspective, including four episodes of The Secret Files and four episodes of Outside the Ropes, including my interview with Instagod's author himself, Sonny Arvado, Seriously, you can find this episode of the podcast across several different platforms. That includes Anchor, that is not Anchor, because Anchor is the mothership of everything. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, CastBox, freaking Overcast, Radio Public, and of course, that good old Spotify fam. Search for the Young Lions perspective across all these different platforms, and you should have no problem finding them whatsoever. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the Young Lions perspective, 
when I'm going to be doing live tweets for shows, when I'm put, if I post breaking news, anything of that matter. You can follow me on Twitter at Suede Senator WWI. That's S-U-E-D-E. S-E-N-A-T-O-R, capital W, capital W, capital I. I am live tweeting. I will not live tweet for Raw. Raw can kiss my ass. I do live tweet, though, for SmackDown Live, NXT, NXT UK, AEW, every live WWE pay-per-view. And if I have nothing else better to do between the hours of 2 and 5 a.m., I do live tweet for New Japan as well. Otherwise, I am sleeping, and it bees what it bees. I am also on Instagram, the mothership of everything that is YLP. You can follow me there at young underscore lions underscore perspective. Follow me on both of those platforms to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the YLP podcast. Episode 96, ladies and gentlemen. We're creeping towards 100. We are creeping towards episode 100. And now we're on the, on the second half of the 90s. Episode 96 will be coming your way. This Thursday, NXT review. We're getting back into the swing of things. I will be checking out NXT this week. Usually with NXT takeovers, they usually do a highlight show, just highlighting the entire show. But from what I'm hearing, the Forgotten Sons taking on Breezango and the finals of the NXT breakout tournament are going to be going down. And I don't want to miss any of that. And I will be talking to you about those matches. So it may be a shorter episode of NXT review, and you may get a little bit more from the NXT UK side as well if the NXT review is a little bit shorter than you usually get from yours truly. But we'll get to that when we get there. Until Thursday, guys, for episode 96 of Young Lions Perspective. Enjoy the rest of your day. If you're going to watch Raw tonight, um, hit me up on my Twitter, at SwaySenatorWWI. Let me know what you're thinking of the show. I may not be watching it. I'm not exactly sure just yet. Um, I'll make my decision usually when I'm at the gym. Other than that, guys, enjoy the rest of your day. Kick Monday's ass, and I'll see you guys Thursday for episode 96 of The Young Lions Perspective. See ya!